This is Transistor.fm. Justin Jackson here. Welcome to the Product People Podcast. This week, David Hannemeyer Hansen of 37 Signals, they just did something that took a lot of people by surprise. They said they were going to change the name of the company to Basecamp and basically uh, stop building the other products, Campfire, Rise, all those other things, except for Basecamp. They're going to focus exclusively on their flagship product. And so I figured I should get together with David, and just ask him what was behind that decision, why did they make that decision, and kind of how do they see that working going forward. So check that out. If you want more information about the book I'm writing, Marketing for Developers, head over to justinjackson.ca slash marketing for developers. Hey, this is Justin, and I am with David Hannemeyer Hansen. How's it going, David? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. It's snowing here in British Columbia. Where, where are you right now? I am in uh, Spain. No snow, but um, a little bit of rain. A little bit of rain. And you were doing some racing there? No. Nope. Right now, I'm, um, I'm, I'm living here as I do about uh, a third of the year or so. Yeah. Cool. Just to escape the Chicago winter. Uh, yes, uh, it's uh, it's a little brutal there right now. I was looking just this morning, and I think right now it's 11 degrees. So uh, uh, here in Mobea, it's 65. So you're happy to be there. Absolutely. Right on. Cool. All right, so let's uh, get right into it. You guys over at formerly 37 Signals made some pretty big changes. Uh, maybe just tell us what were the the two announcements you made this past week. Sure. So we announced that, um, first of all, we're going to work on one prod- product going forward. Um, for many years, we've worked on a lot of different products. We've worked on Basecamp was the original product. Um, then we worked on Backpack, Tadalist, uh, Highrise, Campfire, uh, all these other apps that we've been starting over the years. Um, we've accumulated kind of a large portfolio of, uh, of products. And what we sort of learned doing that was that um, that's hard to do when you have a lot of popular growing uh, applications and you want to do well with all of them. So we sort of decided that that couldn't continue because the trajectory that that was going to take us on as a company was very foreseeable. That We would have to be a much larger company to do all of these applications justice. And we'd already sort of been internally positioned like this for a while. Um, since the launch of the new version of Basecamp, that has been the predominant focus at the company. All the other applications in our portfolio hadn't really gotten a whole lot of love. Um, and that just didn't feel great. It didn't feel great to have active products in your portfolio that you were selling that, that you weren't uh, dedicated to and fired up um, to be working on simply because you, you couldn't. 
Um, we're a tiny company. Uh, we have uh, 10 programmers right now uh, out of the, the 40 some program or 40 some people we have at the company. Like, most people have that as a, as a single team working on something small somewhere, right? And that's our entire company. So there's just limits to what we can do, and, and especially when it comes to sort of this new world of applications, where it's not just about making a web app. Um, Basecamp today is on the iPhone, it's on Android, it's on um, mobile web use, it's on all these sort of different ways you can use it. Uh, and we have all these ideas for how to make it better. That even when we today use 100% of our company to, to work on Basecamp, that still feels stretched. So how are you going to fit Hi-Rise in there? How are you going to fit Campfire in there? How are you going to fit all these other apps that in and of themselves also deserve that kind of dedication and that kind of focus? Well, as I said, we, we hadn't really been doing that for the, for the past couple of years, especially since launching the version of Basecamp. And we just came to the conclusion that that was actually the right thing to do. It was not something for us to feel bad about, feel guilty about. It was something for us to own up to and recognize that that was how things were going to be and then uh, commit to it. So that commitment that we were just going to work on one product, that um, Basecamp was going to be the one app going forward that all our energy would flow into and all our dedication would flow into, naturally led to the second announcement, which was that it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to have a company called 37 Sickles that just makes one thing, Basecamp. Uh, that's just confusing. It's already confusing today. Um, when I talk to people and I, I tell them about where I work, I usually say, oh, I work at 37 Sickles, and they're like, what's that? And I go, oh, yeah, we make Basecamp. Oh, Basecamp. I know Basecamp. Like, we use that here, or, or my brother uses that. or Basecamp just has a lot better name recognition outside of the tech circles. Um, so it just it felt natural that we should commit to that as a company as well as the company name, focus everything around it. One of the things we talked about, just having our paychecks be signed by Basecamp, like that really puts the focus on who's paying for this, like the customers of Basecamp are, yeah. right? Um, so just it's just easier too, like less things. We're all about less stuff, uh, less complication, less shit going on. And if we can just be one application, one company, one name, that's simpler living. So that seems very appealing. Uh, the drawbacks, of course, is that both Jason and I and many others at the company and, and many fans uh, are invested in 37 Sequels as a name. Like I've been working with an app for 37 Sequels for what, 12, 13 years? Basically, it's a rounding error to consider anything else I've done in my professional career. Like, <laughs> my entire professional career has been for, for 37 signals. So there's a lot of emotion attached to that. And I think that that was why we took a while to come to this realization that being base camp was the right thing to, to do and be because um, it just, uh, uh, we had a lot of invested in 37 signals. And I think it's, it's kind of like writing, right? Where they say, kill your darlings. Um, yeah. Don't fall in love so much with, with a paragraph or with a sentence that you can't take it out for the greater good. And that was what we realized that 37 Sequels was. It was a great paragraph, or it was a great sentence, it was a great story, and it was a great legacy, but it didn't have to be part of sort of our future. And our future would be simpler if we were just dedicated to one thing. I see you have the, 
the tweet up on um, uh, on your screen where I was saying, if you're not working on your best idea, you're doing it wrong. This was something I said back in, in 2010, and, and, and I continue to believe it, and I'm, I'm happy that we can live to it even better that um, that this is, we, we try to have a very congruent company, like do as you as you say and and, and say as you do, uh, and it, it feels great to sort of be closer to that. Um, so yeah, that's a long ramble. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. I think and I think a, a lot of people are interested in how you and Jason make decisions behind the scenes, and so was this one because I remember you talking about. Uh, this idea of I've been working on my best idea for a long time, and it seemed yep. like you were hinting that your best idea was was actually Basecamp. So when when how did you guys decide to do this? What was that process like? It's funny because we've been talking about it on and off for some time. Um, we've been talking about um, Basecamp being our best idea. I've mentioned that for a very long time because. Uh, that's been true since the since I joined, almost since I joined 37 Signals, that Basecamp was our best idea. It was our biggest business. It was where most of our customers were. It was what we were most well-known for. Um, it had all these uh, sort of good things going for it, right? And I usually talk about it in the context of um, entrepreneurship. Um, a lot of people have a fascination with serial entrepreneurs, that uh, you're not a real entrepreneur unless you can do it twice, right? Yeah. That... Um, well, maybe the first time you were just lucky. Do you know what? So fucking what? So what? If, if it was just sheer luck that we came upon the idea of Basecamp and that really resonated with, uh, with millions of people. Like, I can, I can deal with that. I can live with that. I can accept that, um, A, maybe I was just lucky. Uh, and like, that's one way to describe it, right? Another way to describe it is just maybe Basecamp is just the best idea we've had for business. That's completely okay. And I think for some time at least, we've been drawn to the same siren song that lots of entrepreneurs have been drawn to, namely proving that you can do it more than once. Hmm. And who's that good for? Like for stroking your ego? Is it good for your customers, really? Uh, I don't necessarily think that it is. Um, actually, I don't think that it is. And I think that that's why, or I don't think that is why we've made this choice, that, um, that we come to this acceptance. And I've come to this acceptance, I've talked about it in another context too, um, between Basecamp and Ruby on Rails, like there's enough there to, to satisfy a lifetime. Like, uh, we talk a lot about going this distance, that uh, we're in it for the long term and the long haul, and we try to design our company and our products around that belief as well. So if I look forward 10, 20, 30 years from now, um, are these fundamentally good ideas that I want to continue working on? When I think of something like Basecamp, helping people make progress on projects together, is that going to grow out of fashion? Like as a mission statement, as something you're invested in? I don't think it is. Yeah. I think it's relevant now as it's going to be 100 years from now. Not necessarily in this incarnation. I, hope, I sure hope not. I mean, 100 years from now, we're uh, on horses and carrots and stuff like that. So <laughs> I, I hope it looks different in 100 years from now. But I actually I do hope that Basecamp is going to be here in 100 years. And then we're still helping um, companies and organizations make progress and projects together. Um, yeah. How that looks, who knows? Yeah. Um, but it just feels good to to invest in something at such a core level and come to the acceptance that this could be the last thing I ever worked on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that's kind of a. 
I mean, I'm, I'm 34. Uh, hopefully I have a good, uh, I don't know, uh, 100 years left in me to go. Um, uh, committing to something like that, it feels great. When I look at companies uh, that I really admire, a lot of them have stuck with it for the long term and for long haul. Uh, we've so long ranted against short-termism. Uh, to sort of like build it and flip it and sell it and just ride the fad and jump on the next one. Just not, it's not what we're here for. It's not what we're interested in. Uh, yeah. It's not what we're invested in. So this, this there's just a sort of a lot of threads that are coming together and, and, and making this feel really good. Yeah. I think uh, the idea that maybe Basecamp, you were just lucky with Basecamp. I mean, that is one explanation. Yep. Um, yes. What, but is there other reasons you think Basecamp was your best idea? Like, for example, maybe if you'd started with Highrise, do you think maybe just because you'd focused on it, it could have been uh, just as great? Or was there something special about Basecamp, the product itself, the timing, all that stuff? Yes, I think there was. I think it's, it's very special when you are basically ignorant and you are without resources and you... Sort of, we didn't know anything. We didn't know anybody. We didn't know what not to do. We we didn't have a whole lot of money to build it for. It was built on the side. It was a side project. It was forged sort of out of constraints. The most extreme case that we have had of uh, of having to build something out of constraints. Because since then it's gotten easier. Um, now that we have Basecamp, now that we have this really amazingly successful uh, application, we don't have those same constraints anymore. We still try to enforce them the best that we can, but it's just not the same. When we built Basecamp, we were three people. I was working 10 hours per week, week, on building it. Like, that was the first version. It launched off that, off uh, five or six months of me working 10 hours a week. And with, with Jason and, and Ryan doing other stuff on the side. I think it was just a, it was a special, it was a magical process. Um, I mean, again, there's so many variables. Are you, how are you going to control for any of them to, to sort of know which one was it that, that really did it? But I think uh, many things contributed to it. And, and I certainly believe that uh, the constraints that we, we created Basecamp from are contributed to, to what it is still today. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to get back to in many ways, right? Um, we're trying to hold on to that, that we, we gave birth to Basecamp as a tiny company. We want to stay, a, if not tiny, then at least small company, right? Yeah. That, that's what we enjoyed. And, and just because we have the opportunity to be a big company with, with a big product portfolio doesn't mean that we should or that we would want to. Yeah. I think people, are, that's what really, I think, perhaps in some ways resonated with, with folks when we announced this um, uh, simplification and this dedication to just Basecamp is that everybody usually expects that this is the one path. The one path is growth. The one path is getting bigger and bigger and doing more and more. And nobody, it's very rare that people question that. It does happen occasionally. I remember the story of, of Steve Jobs walking into Apple when he came back and said, yeah, all these, I don't know how many fucking products they were doing at the time. We're not yeah. going to do any of them. We're going to yeah. do four. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so we want to sort of uh, sort of stay to that and, and say, no, it doesn't have to be bigger. We don't have to be 200 people or 1,000 people or 10,000 people just because we could. Yeah. Um, we want to make a, a choice 
and say, that's not the company we want to build. That's not where I want to work for the next hundred years. Um, so we're not going to do that. Yeah. I think what resonated with, with me and probably a lot of people is a lot of us do want to have that idea of, uh, if I could just simplify my life, like if I could just give up some things, that would yep. be so much better. And uh, I think what's hard, <laughs> what's hard when you have uh, a company or some products is you're thinking, like for you guys, I'm sure you were thinking like, people know us for campfire, people know us for high rise, people know us for all these other things, and people know us for 37 signals in this little tech bubble. Mm -hmm. That must have weighed on you a little bit to think, man, we could, like we're giving up something special here. That's why it's hard, and that's also why it's interesting, and that's also why it's invigorating, because it's not free. Like, we're giving up real money, real sort of access to certain groups of customers. We're giving up real things. Um, and, and I think that that's why it rarely happens, right? Humans are incredibly loss averse. They're not mm -hmm. just going to fucking throw something out that's valuable or, or say we're not going to do that if there's still value to be squeezed from it. And we have like high-rise and, and campfire, they're, they're barely squeezed, right? They're barely squeezed lemons. There's so much juice left in them. And yeah. the natural tendency is to say, like, let's squeeze every single last drop out of it. And what we're saying is instead, nope, we're going to let somebody else do that. Like, we're not going to get all the juice. We're, we're going to sell it be, before or, or even if we, we can't do that, then continue to run it unsqueezed. Like, we're simply going to say like, all this economic value, all this influence, all this good stuff we could have gotten from it, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, um, that's why it was hard. It was why it, it took a long time. 37 signals, as you said, had very good value. We, there's a lot of brand equity in that, yeah. right? If we were going to put it on our balance sheet, we put a serious amount of goodwill under the 37 signals name. It stands for something. It's a... Um, it's real like that. And, yeah. and again, we're giving it up. We're walking away from it. And um, it's just, it's, it's, I think that that's, that's what really fascinates me about everything. That, that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested yeah. in trade-offs where, where it's not easy. Like yeah. everybody can say just like, oh yeah, I want more. Yeah. Like, just, give me, just give me more. Like I want more stuff. I want more money. I want more influence. I want more, 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 more. Like yeah. that's very easy to say if you don't have to sort of, if there's no trade-off from it, right? Uh, yeah. what's, what's far more interesting is to say, I want more peace of mind. I want um, a, a company I feel better about. I want uh, more of this small company um, and I'm going to give up some things for it. Yeah, yeah. That Now, when you guys were building Basecamp, uh, it seems like from what I've seen, a lot of the people that purchased it in the beginning were people like you, like they were web agencies, um, you know, development companies, things like that. Uh, am I right in that? Like that was kind of the initial audience? Absolutely. Um, that was the, the whole audience. We are, the original marketing pages for Basecamp even talked specifically about design companies and clients, um, uh, client-focused companies. Um, mm -hmm. We got dragged in to the larger vision uh, yeah. by our customers because customers started showing up that were not design companies, that were not just programming companies, that were from all walks of business and life, right? Mm -hmm. And they said, 
hey, this is great. Like, I don't know why the hell you're just saying this is for design companies. It works great for my architecture firm. It works great for my nonprofit. It works great for my school. It works great for my church. It works great for all these other things. And we went, huh, figure that out. Yeah. And I think what, what sort of was interesting and appealing to that was that it ultimately was more satisfying. Um, it was very satisfying and is very satisfying to build a tool that's not just for techies. Yeah. Um, and that, that's great too and we love sort of that group and, and that's who we are and we're using Basecamp, right? But yeah. it's also really satisfying to, to help people who are very different from who we are. Yeah. Now, because when you started, you were basically speaking to people like yourself. Um, I think that's one of the reasons signal versus noise became so popular was you had this voice for uh, these people in this context, basically, people that were like you. Right. Uh, do you think it's going to get harder to now speak to a more general audience? And maybe even talking about signal versus noise itself, uh, I don't know if you've mentioned what's going to happen to that blog, uh, if that will continue, and if it'll have more of a general focus in the future. Sure. Um, first, no. Like We're going to continue to talk about the things that we know, the experiences we've had, and the lessons we've learned. Um, how that appeals to people, it's, it's really more up to them. Um, when we first wrote Rework, Rework was basically the greatest hits of the last decade of, the, or of Signal versus Noise, right? Like mm -hmm. It was 80% um, essays, blog postings from 37 Signals. Which, yeah. They weren't designed to reach a mass audience. They were designed, again, to share our lessons and our experiences uh, and, and our takeaways. And what happened with, uh, with Rework was the same thing that kind of happened with Basecamp, right? Hmm. That these things are not so niche. They're not so narrow. And, and Rework turned to New York Times bestseller. It continues to sell amazingly well to this day. We, I think we've sold more than 300,000 copies. Wow. So obviously the message has resonated with a far greater group of people than, than we imagined. So I, I think in that sense, like, don't change anything. If, if, if we were to say, oh, well, now we're base camp, we're just base camp, we got to appeal to more people, let's, like, stop fucking swearing all the time or put on a suit or try to speak in generalized business language to a broader math, try to become more of a, a gray goop. Yeah. Um, what kind of, I mean, idiotic approach would that be? Like, we got to where we are, being who we are, um, doing what we do. Are you going to fucking change all of that because now, like, you've got to reach for something else? Fuck no. Um, and I think that that's also part of the commitment, right? It's part of the commitment to independence that we've always had. That we could say all those things and we can be ourselves and we can speak the things that are often aren't spoken because we're not really beholden to anybody, right? Like, there's, there's no VC control holding our leash. We're not on public markets. Um, there are all these sort of things you can get yourself into in, in pursuit and chase of the bigger, the more, that actually ends up really constraining and, uh, who you are and who you can be. And that's, that's not us. So mm -hmm. short answer is no, we're not going to change. We're going to continue to talk about uh, who we are and what we learn. Uh, signal versus noise in particular is going to continue as well. As a block, uh, we now have a, a dedicated domain for it. It's signalsvnoise or signalvnoise.com. The all URL redirects as well. 
we can continue to sh share on that. Um, we even actually have a couple more ideas. Uh, working on a, another magazine uh, idea of something called The Distance um, that Jason hinted at for uh, exploring a lot of untold stories for businesses that we feel deserve uh, more spotlight for, for the things that they are. Um, really tying into to everything that we're about, which is going the distance, um, staying in business for a long time, and, and so forth. And, um, and, and who knows, maybe we'll, we'll write another book as well. Um, if you had asked me a year or a year and a half before we started uh, remote, I would have said we didn't have any idea for a book. But it's sort of when Jason wrote it up in the announcement, I see, oh, we've actually released a book like every three or four years. Um, we did uh, Defensive Design for the Web, then yeah. we did Getting Real, then we did Rework, and now we've done Remote. And it's sort of been about three to four years between each of them. So I'm a big believer in yesterday's weather, and, and I would say I could certainly foresee there being another book in three to four years. And Sickle versus Noise is, a, is our premier platform for developing ideas for that. Yeah. Um, it's a place where we can share these, pretty much everything we've ever written starts out on signal versus noise as the first place. It's kind of like the, the comedy club thing. Like um, you try out new material yeah, and yeah. then you try out new material on, on signal versus noise and see what works and what doesn't work. And then uh, we produce our HBO special in, in, in a hardcover book format. <laughs> now, do you think that's going to be continue to be your marketing approach? Uh, you've been famous about saying you haven't spent very much on marketing. It's been mostly through uh, your your blog and your book and some of these other things is that going to continue to be the approach especially if you're trying to grow the you know the brand of Basecamp and have more I'm, I'm assuming more customers are you going to try different things to, to reach out to more people I, I think first of all for the list you mentioned the, the number one thing that actually has mattered for us is word of mouth like mm. all these other things got things the ball rolling and the ball started and, and they help and they contribute but yeah. the number one thing is word of mouth. So that's what we're focused on. That is, like, if, if you see our, the pie chart for our marketing energy and budget, like, yeah. there's 99% focus on fucking getting best word of mouth, and then there's 1% of all the other stuff, stuff right? Yeah. We continue to experiment with things. Um, it's not very focused, to be honest. The only thing that is focused is sort of our approach to the audience and sharing what we learn. So that's, that's a great strategy, and that works, but it's secondary to focusing on word of mouth. And how do you focus on word of mouth? Well, first of all, you make a fucking great product that people want to buy, and they want to tell other people about it. Then you have exceptional service. And that's one of the things I think we perhaps haven't spoken as much about over the sort of last few years, is um, just how much we've invested in having exceptional service. For the first, I don't know, what, three years, more years, Jason responded to everything himself. And um, I don't think even Jason would, uh, would argue with this point, but having a, a founder of a company write all the customer support emails, having somebody so close to the product, um, having to deal with customers who say, hey, why the fuck didn't you have that feature, right? Moron. <laughs> That's not a good recipe for, uh, for, uh, for keeping calm and carrying on. Are, so, are you saying that actually happened one time? Uh, it happens daily that people tell us we're idiots. <laughs> For, for not having a certain feature, not doing things a certain way. And in their minds, we are. Like everybody comes to a product with their own sort of uh, set of, of, of baseline assumptions about what it should be and, and could do for them, right? And why the fuck don't they do this? I, 
I fall into this trap all the time. We all fall into this trap all the time. We usually go to Twitter and we're like, ah, why doesn't this product do exactly the thing I want it to do, right? Yeah. Not yeah. doing that thing. Whoever built it didn't build it just for us, right? Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so we learned that lesson eventually that, mm -hmm. um, that having a, a great customer support team is different from just have, building a great product. You can have a great product, and, and I've dealt with number of or companies, many companies in my time who I felt like they had a great product and still I said, I cannot wait to get these assholes out of my life because they just had shitty customer service and I felt bad about supporting their product. Even if I liked their product, I was like, I cannot wait not to buy their product anymore. Yeah. Um, so that's really the, the two-prong approach for us. Uh, build a fantastic product and continue to make that product better um, yeah. and build a fantastic customer service organization that can say yes more of the time and quicker. Like yeah. right now when you, when you look at our site, uh, a lot of the times it says, um, because this is actually live update, it's kind of cool. One of the cool features of the new Basecamp.com is that it's all just written like a story, but yeah. we plop in little areas of dynamic content. When you see that we have, uh, for example, 99.99, I think seven or eight percent uptime right now, that's a live yeah. number. Like that's, gotcha. if, if we have out, uh, downtime tomorrow and that gets dragged down to 99.994, yeah. that'll be live on the site right away. Oh, yeah, actually, um, if you click, give uh, Basecamp a try, click on that one. You'll see there's a number uh, last week, 6,898 companies, like that's a live number. We calculate wow. that runningly and it is not just a, a fake number. And we have a <laughs> bunch of numbers like that. If you click on support, uh, yeah, up there, uh, currently we're able to respond to you in just about one minute. Like that's a live number. No just way. about one minute. I mean, I'll tell you what, but Jason was not responding to anybody in just about one minute in the beginning. <laughs> we were quick. I mean, uh, Compared to a lot of things, like I've been dealing with Iberia, the airline, and they say, oh, you can wait up until 21 days to get a response on email. Like, we were fucking <laughs> speedy Gonzalez in the beginning when we were responding to people in like a few hours. Yeah. But we really just tried to take that up a notch. And, and one of the investments we've been making recently is, is make that true for everybody in the world. Like we, hmm. We've been US focused for a long time in our customer support. Yeah. Uh, and we're extending that such that it's 24 seven. Um, whether you're in uh, in the UK or the US or Japan or Australia or whatever, you should get a respond in just about one minute. Yeah. Um, wow. Anyway, so I think that that basically is to say that uh, we stay true to sort of the notion of what will not change. One of the best pieces of advice we've ever gotten as a business was uh, was Jeff Bezos telling us to invest in the things that do not change and invest heavily in them. I mm -hmm. For, for the product, are people going to wake up tomorrow feeling that, oh, it'd be great if Basecamp was a little slower? Oh, man, if I could just wait an extra <laughs> second for every page load, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Of course yeah. they're not. They're always going to want it to be faster. So we invest heavily in continuing to make Basecamp faster. Are people going to wake up tomorrow and think, oh, it'd be great if it took three hours for me to get a response on customer support? Of course not. So we yeah. invest a bunch of money into making sure such that we can say in just about one minute and, yeah. and sort of that's about, that's the thing you do when you have this clarity of focus and you have this longevity is you can say, well, we're going to invest in shit right now that's going to pay off for the next 50 years. 
Mm -hmm. right? Let's not invest in the things that's going to pay out over the next 18 months. Or yeah. at least keep these things proportionate, and the vast majority of the proportion should go to the things that will stay through for the next 50 years. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important to talk about the idea of uh, that two pronged approach where you have great software, but you also have great support. And mm -hmm. I think when I was in Chicago at your office, I think you were actually doing, uh, you were doing some support. Do you still do that every once in a while? Absolutely. We have something called uh, Everyone on Support, um, where everybody in the company will will spend a day on support. Like every day, there's somebody who's not in support who spends time on support. Yeah. So uh, how and just helps out. How did you realize? Because I think especially for creators and builders and developers, sometimes we just want to create a thing and just have it run on its own. And we, we want to stay behind our screens and maybe not uh, relate to human beings. So how did, did you guys realize that from the beginning that actually like this manual work of taking care of people over email and answering the questions, how did you realize that was important and that you were going to focus and invest in it? Because we had to, because that's how it started. Like Jason used to respond to, to almost everything. And do you know what, what he would do with all the uncalled cases? He would just forward them to me. So I would deal with all this <laughs> shit, right? So we had this very specific feedback loop where like there was no hiding. There was nobody else to hide behind. And yeah. we got a lot of good stuff out of that. When people yeah. keep nagging you day out and day in about a certain bug or something else, you'll fix that because yeah. it's in the ass to keep writing back to people and saying, oh, no, I'm sorry, like, that just doesn't work right now. Uh, yeah. Not only is it a pain in the ass, it's a shitty thing to do. So we kind of got indoctrinated early on by necessity. And that's what I mean when I say like we were forged out of our initial constraints. These mm -hmm. were lessons we were forced to learn. And yeah. when we then grew bigger and, and had sort of the money and the customer base that we could hire dedicated support people, um, we still knew of that initial experience and we wanted to retain that. And that's what everybody on support is, is about, that everyone in the company should know who they work for. They work mm -hmm. for the customers. Yeah. Like, you, you, it also feels great. It feels great that you're not just creating in a bubble. It feels great to know that there are people who actually really like the stuff that you do. It's very yeah. easy as a programmer or a designer or anybody else who's working on the product to be in your little bubble, as you say, and you're just moving your pixels around and moving your code around and getting tests to pass. And that's a very sort of, it's not the real thing. The real thing is creating software that matters to people, that has an impact on their lives that they're passionate about and that they're, uh, that, or even if they're not passionate about it, that, that helps them get shit done. Like they're paying you for a reason. Um, and, and feeling that and knowing that sort of on your skin as having to respond to their direct emails is invigorating. Yeah, that's well said. Um, I think in the last minutes we have here, a lot of people, of course, are asking about <laughs> what, what this means for them. Because yep. for a long time, 37 Signals was kind of the, the example. Like if you want to run a bootstrap startup or even just a startup, uh, right. you know, everything from Ruby on Rails to you know, just the way you organize your company and remote work. So there's a lot of questions about you know, what does this mean for someone who's starting out? And so I think uh, one question we had from Samuel here is does your best idea equal the idea you're most passionate about? Um, I don't know, it, that's hard to tell. For us, I, I think that it's quite true. Basecamp has been the app that we since the beginning has used more than anything else. Campfire is a close second, um, 
but I, I think that was a sort of, you can weigh it on two scales, right? Um, Campfire is vanishingly small spec in the grand sea or beach of base camp. I'm not really mixing <laughs> my metaphors. Um, but it's such a tiny thing. It didn't, it was very important to us and we're passionate about using it, but it didn't appeal to, to customers in anywhere remotely close to the same way that base camp did. So from very early on, even though like we're passionate about campfire, we're passionate about base camp, it was clear that campfire wasn't as good as an idea. It wasn't on the same scale of, of base camp, at yeah. least not in its current rendition, right? Yeah. Um, so that helped us answer the question of like, which is the better idea? Well, it's Basecamp because yeah. we love it and we use it. That's true for Campfire too, but also millions of other people love and use Basecamp and not exactly the same amount of people love and use uh, Campfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what's going to be helpful for in all of this is to realize the different stages that a company or people can be at. like. Yeah. Uh, like right now, you guys are giving up on Campfire, but that doesn't mean that a little team of three using Ruby on Rails couldn't build uh, some sort of group chat and make a profitable company out of it. Oh, absolutely not. It's just that like, we looked at the eggs that were in our basket, right? That's what you got to do. You got to look yeah. at what you have. And out of the eggs in, in our basket, I mean, there was Basecamp shining very bright to, to, to a point where, where nothing else was really shining in comparison. It, we could have been a happy company. I could have been a happy developer if if Campfire had turned out to be our best idea. And instead of being the company we are, we were a significantly smaller company, but we would still we could still run it in the same way. We still talk about things and, and so forth. It just so happens to be that our best idea was was a little brighter than that, and uh, and, and we we went with that, and yeah. and we were happy with that. Yeah, um, we have. I think it's Vegas Kid, uh, and he wants you to go back to the beginning when you had all those constraints and it was gritty and it was hard. And what was it like to make that first 10k a month? Once Basecamp hit 10k a month, can you talk us through like just those initial feelings of having built something? And I, I don't know what's significant about 10k. Maybe that's like, oh, this there's there's something here. Maybe bring us back to that moment there. Sure. So for us, it was actually it wasn't even 10k. It was 4k. So our initial goal for Basecamp was that after one year, if Basecamp could make us 4K a month, that would feel like that was great. That was our goal. I don't know how the hell we picked 4K. I think maybe it was something like it was, it was two or three 37 singles expresses or something like that um, that we were counting it in. But um, we sort of, we, we had that as, as the goal, right? And, and it was the goal that after one year that that would be it. Well, we hit that goal after three or four weeks. Three or four weeks, we had 4K of recurring revenue. And we were like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> we thought this was going to take a year, and it took yeah. closer to just three or four weeks. This is amazing, right? Yeah. Um, and yet, amazing would be so pathetically laughable for any other sort of company today, especially if it's a VC-backed company. Could you imagine, like, 4K a month? Yeah. People would be laughing and laughing and laughing for you to have that as a goal. Yeah. Yet that was our goal. That was where we started. Um, and it didn't exactly go hockey stick from there either. Like it took more than a year before Basecamp was just making enough money that our tiny group of what were we, three or four people at the time, four people, five people, yeah. that we could say, okay, I think we're confident enough that we cannot do uh, client work anymore. 
it would just yeah. pay the bills. Nobody's fucking getting rich of anything at this point, right? Yeah. Like, if, if you look at the runways of most companies, like they, they need far, far, far faster growth than that. Our growth was pathetically slow. Yeah. Um, and yet, that's, I think, again, is one of those informing things. We are where we are today because of that. Because we didn't have any fucking hockey stick. There were not millions of people knocking our, on our door after, uh, um, after just a few months. In fact, if you looked at our audience at the time, it was even more pathetic. People talk about... Um, like today, what, 100,000 people on Twitter, like that, that's a fair following. Like, like how many people have 2,000 people on following them on Twitter or, or, or their blog? A fair number of people, right? We had 2,000 people following SVN on, on RSR, RSS at the time. Like, that was the size of our audience. We really did not start with a lot. Um, and that was okay. Like, we took our sweet effing time. Basecamp just celebrated 10 years. Ten years. Like, that's a long fucking time. Um, and uh, we spend a lot of that time just slowly but surely building like a few more customers, a few more customers, and then the power of compound interest and compound growth sort of finally at some point kicked in and, and, and things were doing really well. Yeah. Now, a lot of people are wondering if specifically if campfire-like features might make their way into base camp. Um, so in general, we don't comment a lot on um, um, future features, but what we have actually said in the prospectus when we talk to people about Campfire and possibly acquiring it is that uh, under no circumstances will we sign a non-compete. That, uh, as I said, like Campfire is the functionality of Campfire is very important to how we run our business. Um, in this specific implementation of Campfire, we have not gotten the same traction as we did with something like Basecamp, but there could very well be other implementations of, uh, of chat and real-time collaboration that, um, that could great, get that greater traction. Um, and we still need something, right? Um, so it's actually funny because we, ch tried a, um, uh, we tried a competitor's product for a month. Like, we had not worked on Basecamp or on Campfire for a long time, right? Yeah. And there were people were getting a little restless and like, well, there might be something better out there. So we tried a competitive product for a month. We switched the entire company to use that um, to teach us about what that, would, what that would be like. And it talked about a lot of very interesting things. Um, but it, it remained that we just care deeply about real-time collaboration. It's a huge part of how we run things. And, and then at the end of that time, we, we were very well informed about all the things we didn't like about that other product. And we realized that we were just we are incessantly not invented here when it comes to those kind of things, our core tools of collaboration. And we felt like, well, we can fucking do this so much better. Uh, <laughs> even if we haven't so far uh, invested a whole lot of stuff in, uh, in Campfire up until that point. So yeah. Um, yeah. that's a very roundabout way of saying, yes, we're exploring all sorts of things for, for future versions of Basecamp, including right. ways to do chat in real time or whatever. All right, all right, that's good. Um, <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll close with something like this. Um, you know, for a long time you built products uh, based on this idea of scratching your own itch. So, you know, Campfire came out because you were scratching your own itch. Uh, you had other products like Tada Lists and, um, you know, uh, your job board, all these other things. So are you guys going to just ignore those itches now when something comes up? 
or do you think in the future there might be other things? I mean, technically, you're still running WeWork remotely as well. Um, so, uh, and you just uh, kind of spun off. Um, uh, know your company. Know your company. So, is that something that you might do in the future, or are you guys saying, nope, this is it, Basecamp forever? We're pretty much saying, nope, this is it. And we're saying, we're going to say no to more itches. And we might say that some of the itches that we have will find their way into Basecamp in ways where before we might have said, oh, let's start a new product for it. Maybe there are ways that Basecamp can, can scratch some of these itches. But we're also just getting more confident in saying no. Um, there are lots of things that I all the time, especially when I use other people's products, think, god damn it, we could build this much better. And <laughs> resisting that urge is a big part of sort of the maturity, I think, that come with uh, with being content with what you have and the direction that you, you're going. And that it can't just be more and more. Yes, so what if we could write a better, I don't fucking know, help desk system or something. Help desk is, is one of the things we can look at right now because since the acquisition from Salesforce.com, desk.com has gone down the fucking tube, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we're like, could we write something better ourselves? And, and it's very hard to resist that urge when you were a builder and you know how to build things, right? Yeah. But you have to, at least at the grand scale, uh, you have to resist the vast, vast, vast majority of those urges. And that's part of like uh, focusing on your best idea. Like, you have a million ideas. Everybody has a million ideas. If you try to work on all of them, like, none of them are going to be great. None of them are really going to pay off big. So we've, we've just said, well, we've also been there. Like We've tried that, right? We've sort of, uh, uh, I, I think in, in some ways it's kind of like, um, if you get married at 18, like you have a limited amount of life experience um, to sort of base that decision on. Yeah. And if you look at divorce rates from people who get married at 18 versus people who get married at 30, I actually haven't looked at these, but I'm theorizing <laughs> that they would be worse at 18, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's, there's some maturity, there's some just seeing the world and seeing what else is out there, but that makes it makes you more confident in the choices than you then do end up making. Like, I've seen what the world has to offer. I've tried a lot of things. We've, we've had um, fun with a lot of different other products and product ideas, but yeah. uh, we're finally at a stage in our life as a company and as, as people working at that company where we were content saying, all right, we're married to Basecamp. This is it Un until death do us part. Um, and, and feeling great about the decision. Not feeling like, oh shit, what else is out there, right? What else could, could we have or could we do or, or whatever? Which I think is that inevitable sensation you're going to have when you haven't seen the world, when you haven't tried a lot of things, when you haven't, um, in our case, launched a, different, a bunch of different products. We've now launched all the products that we need to launch to figure out and know who we are and what we want to be and where we're going in life. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Let's, le let's leave it there, David. Thanks so much uh, for your time today. My pleasure. Absolutely. This is fun. And that is the show for this week. Thanks so much to David from Basecamp for coming on and sharing all those thoughts with us. Just a reminder, if you want to check out the book I'm writing, Marketing for Developers, it's at justinjackson.ca slash marketingfordevelopers. 
can go there and download some sample chapters, about 26 pages up there right now. And I'll also keep you up to date with the progress of the book, ask you for feedback, uh, ask you what you're struggling with, all that kind of stuff. JustinJackson.ca slash marketing for developers. And thanks so much for listening to the show. If you can, go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Just search for the show, Product People, and uh, leave a rating. It really helps other people find the show. You can also follow us on Twitter, at ProductPeopleTV. I'll see you next week. Thanks. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.